Good morning. Hey, it's great to see you folks this morning. I, I love that song, don't you guys? I mean, that's wonderful. It says this very clearly. It says that, hey, Cole, I'm way too loud. Am I way too loud, folks? Do I, f- I feel like I'm yelling at y'all. I'm whispering up here. Can you hear me all right? Tim, you can't hear me? Okay, go to the ear. Do- all right, so great. So I love that song because it says this. It says that I belong to Jesus. All right, I mean, that's, that's what I understood. If I got that right, we sang this together. And that's one of the things, man, that I love about, we're talking this morning about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God tells us this, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. That's who owns me. That's who is my master. That's who's my Lord. So if you take your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and be turning there. We're going to start in about verse 13 in just a few minutes. I want to say welcome to the visitors. I think it's strange, and this is just what pops into my brain. I'm sorry, it's what pops into my brain, that we invite people to church, and one of the first things we do is ask them to tear something out of something we gave them. I think that's really cool, but it's important for us here. You have there that bulletin. It looks just like this, all right? You've got that bulletin, and it is perforated on the edge for a reason. We would love to get to know you. We see that you're visiting with us today, and we'd like to get to know you a little bit. If you'd be interested in us getting to know you, do take a moment before you leave and just rip that bad boy, all right? All right, it's holy, all right? That's what we're supposed to be doing here in church. Just rip that thing off, all right? So thank you, visitors, for being here. Uh, you folks have noticed that we've got some special visitors. Brother Jonathan Baker is here this morning with, his, with the entire family. The entire family made it this morning. So it's great to have Brother Jonathan. A lot of you have been uh, trying to introduce me to Brother Jonathan. So we met in 1996, 1995, I think it was. So we know each other. So we go way back. We went to college together. And, and I continue to pray for you and your family, Brother Jonathan. We're just so honored that you guys are here with us, right? Y'all are going on vacation this week? All right. Much deserved, long-awaited vacation, right? Very good. Very good. So it's wonderful to have them with us. Amen. Here's what I'd like to invite you folks to do, and this is coming from your deacon body. As we conclude, you folks have already had a time to celebrate through giving of your tithes and offerings. So your deacons have requested this morning, with my full support, we'd like to take up just a brief uh, love offering, if you don't mind, for the Baker family. Just since they're here with us, it's very easy for us just to show our love and gratitude for how they've served your church faithfully. And so as you leave at the end of the service, very easy for you to give if you feel led to give. There will be a deacon that will be or an usher that will be standing at the door with an offering plate, all right? So you folks give just out of love for these folks. If you can do that this morning, we sure do want to give you that opportunity. Thank you, folks, for being here, all right? Matthew chapter 5, I don't mean to meddle, but here's uh, where meddling starts. You ready? Uh, when I teach ninth and 10th graders, one of the things that I realize is that their attitude stinks. Usually. And you say, well, not my ninth and 10th grader. Well, listen, you grab onto that one, all right, because you got you a a jewel the attitude usually needs to be expressed amen have you ever noticed that with teenagers do y'all remember being teenagers and as teenagers here's what we need to do we don't need to just be miserable but we need to express how miserable we are it's necessary for us have y'all ever noticed that before right and so when i'm in class with ninth and tenth graders i have to tell you that i recognize that about them and so I kind of beat them to the punch. Brad, what I try to do is this. I try to tell them at the beginning of each class how miserable I am. And then I welcome a time of sharing of just miserable status, right? Who else is miserable here? Raise your hand. Come to the altar if you'd like to. And I invite them in class. Say, hey, let's go ahead and get this miserable state identified, all right? Because you know where we go from there? Got to be up, Right? It just got to be up, right? 
So great, here's the attitude, right, that we see. And I ask them this, I ask them this, and this is just the thought that's rolling around in my brain this morning as we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. What happens if everybody contributes to this class what you contribute to this class? Wow, is that going to be a good class? Or is that going to be a miserable class? It's probably going to be a miserable class, right? So we confess that here's where our attitude is, and we want to grow and we want to go from there, right? I think about this with you, and I know there's a lot of adults here in the room, and I wonder about this because this is, uh, you know, what some of my teacher friends tell me is, you know, it's about the attitude that I bring to work with me, honestly. It's the attitude that I bring. What would happen in my company, what would happen in your company if we brought, if everybody, let's put it this way, if everybody brought your attitude to work? That's a good place to work. Would that be a successful business? Can you see the future of your business, of your company there, if, if everybody would just have the same kind of thinking, the way that you have that same kind of thinking? You say, well, now listen, we're talking about attitude. Let's move on to something else. Great. Here's what Jesus does. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, as we start the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the first thing that he does is he talks about attitude. And the thing that he doesn't directly say, but he definitely implies is this, is that with the Beatitudes... He's telling those who are sitting closest to him, which remember we said those are the disciples that gather around him as he sits in the position of a teacher. He sits on the side of the mountain. The disciples are that immediate audience that you showed us uh, two weeks ago, right? That the disciples are right there closest to him. But also you got this other big crowd of people that have come around him and gathered around him and they're listening in to see. And don't miss this. He's talking to his disciples, and he is saying to his disciples, this is what's happening in your life because of me working in your life. This is what's happening in you. And so as he tells those, those things to the disciples, realize this, that as he's sharing with them that those people who are not his disciples have crowded in. They've been drawn in. Maybe it's for the miracle working. Maybe it's to see something fancy happen. Maybe it's because they had a friend that invited them. We don't know. But they are drawn in to hear the teaching of Jesus. And one of the first things Jesus says to his disciples that's overheard by the crowds is this. Let's talk about the attitude that you bring with you into my kingdom. Let's talk about your mindset, your thinking, the way that you are approaching this task of being in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, and we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, I hope you found it by now, Matthew chapter 5 verse 13, he's going to get into this concept that branches off of, it's not a separate sermon, it's not a separate teaching, but it's all tied together, right? The idea is this, he says, once we've got a kingdom attitude and we see the Holy Spirit's building this kingdom attitude in us, then something miraculous is going to happen. We're then, with that attitude, going to live on purpose. And so you want to talk about just one more, just haunting question for me, for me. What happens in this church, we'll go right here in this church, if every one of you were to bring an attitude of evangelism like mine? What if we were to pick someone from the audience? Hey, right over here. No, I'm sorry. I meant right over here. No, I'm right over here. But what if we pick someone from the audience and we said, okay, you're thinking about being kingdom-minded and then your practice of being kingdom-minded, in other words, you going out 
and being on mission to tell everybody in this world about Jesus Christ, we're going to follow your attitude. Volunteers? I wouldn't want to volunteer for that. And this is what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, our text for today. If you'll join with me there. He's got his disciples sitting close, but he knows the crowds are there, and there's a harvest to be had. And he says to his disciples, the message is for his disciples, and he says this, I want to let you know, I want to let you know about your influence on behalf of the kingdom of God. You will influence people on behalf of the kingdom of God. You should influence others on behalf of the kingdom of God. You are responsible for influencing people on behalf of the kingdom of God. As we study scripture, if we would study scripture as mature and growing Christians, that's my heart, to be a mature and growing Christian, to invite you to be a mature and growing Christian, here's what we're going to find. God loves lost people. He loves them. He loves them. He loves them. And you're going to find that message is going to reoccur over and over and over and over and over and over again. It says in Genesis 3, the fall of man we saw last Sunday, the fall of man, we see that God had a plan at the fall of man to work to save the lost. And he accomplished that plan through Jesus Christ. He sent his son, what Galatians says, Paul writes, the appropriate time. He sends his son Jesus Christ because he loves lost people. He loves lost people. And I'm going to ask you, it's going to be a really tricky theological question. Would you rather God love lost people or saved people? I would rather him start with lost people because that's where I was. You see, if God's love is confined to just the people who are saved then we die. If we don't have the mindset that God has, that He loves lost people and He's pursuing lost people, then there's no future for us. This is critical text for us. Matthew chapter 5, begin in verse 13. We'll read all the way to verse 20, then we'll come back and exegete this passage, if you will, with me. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus says to these disciples, and it's overheard by these Pharisees and also by the crowd that's nearby, Jesus says, you are... The salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. Now listen, I want us to hear scripture this morning. Would y'all say that phrase with me? Good for anything? Good for anything. It says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's got to mean something since Jesus said it, right? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And when they see your good works, what's going to happen? He tells us, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They will see God through us and give glory to God because of us. Verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, 
until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not just a very simple, almost the size of an apostrophe for us, Mark, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great. Will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about verse 20 as a transition today. Look at this with me if you don't mind. There's a, uh, on the back of your program here, on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that by LifeWay's intentional design, this is completely blank, all right? I invite you, if you will, if you're a note taker, all right, if it just helps keep you awake, all right, if you like to color and draw, it's a great place to color and draw too, all right? But if you're a note taker, if you would take your note, turn it sideways. We've prepared this intentionally for you. It's not invisible ink, but you're going to put the ink on it. You ready? All right. So here's what I'd like to show you. If you would just want to record a couple of thoughts, I realize that I'm probably not going to bring anything new to this passage of Scripture. Looking at the audience that we have this morning, we're blessed that we have this concept. We have a lot of folks here today that have heard this passage before. So let me walk you through it just quickly, if you don't mind. We see here that there's three words. We're, we're introducing this idea of our purpose to be on mission. All right, it's our calling by God to be on mission. Many of you, many of you work in environments and perhaps live in environments where the people that you work with, that you live around, they do not know Jesus. They're not interested in church in any kind of way. And they just really, if, you, if we could be frank, they really don't care what we're doing here today. Anybody, I'm just interested Anybody remotely fit what I just said, that you are in some way during the week, you are repeatedly, consistently around people who are, by definition, we would say they don't know Jesus, they're lost. Anybody would say you like that? Okay, one. Got one person that can raise their hand. All right, two, three. All right, very good. All right, so it's there for us. We encounter lost people. We're surrounded by lost people. And folks, let me share my heart with you here. There's a lot of mentality, a lot of thinking about what we're supposed to do as Christians. Okay, One of those main things that I, I look at a lot and I'm concerned with for the future of Southern Baptist churches is this. There's the bomb shelter Christianity, right? And we have this concept that's kind of prevalent in our culture that says as Christians, we need to dig in deep be surrounded by safety, and try to avoid those out there who are lost and will perish without Christ. That way we're saved, we know we're saved, we're good and saved, and that way we can just make sure the people closest to us that are our friends, the ones that we really love, they're close to us and they're saved, but everybody else can perish because they're our enemy. You're not going to find a lot of support for that kind of thinking in Scripture. In Matthew 5, what we see here is this, is that Jesus comes intentionally into the world. He's going to repeatedly say that he is an influencer in the world. So let me see if we can look at Scripture together and kind of identify what needs to happen. There's three words I want you to write across the top of your page here, and that's this. The first word's identity. The first word is identity. You will never, ever, ever, ever be comfortable around lost people if you don't know who you are as a saved person. That's really the holdup that we get into a lot of times. 
is we don't understand our identity in Jesus Christ. We don't understand who we are. And we are afraid that we'll get around someone who is lost and they will, in essence, take away our beliefs or, or morph and change our beliefs. Can I share with you that one of the most powerful things, and I, I teach at a, a private Christian school, so I know this is a bit hypocritical for me to say this, but I do believe in this. One of the most powerful things, if you go to a public school, you are one of the most powerful tools for God. You start with this idea, though, who are you in Christ? What's your identity? This is what Jesus talks about. You need to know who you are before you start trying to convince someone who might be stronger in their convictions than you are in yours. Who are you? I want to talk with you about that. Also, it talks about this influence. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. And let me say to you that if you in any way have affiliated yourself with Christ, which today you have, then people are watching you. They're watching us. They say, well, do you go to church anywhere? Did you, do you, you do anything? Did you go to vacation Bible school this week? Do you, do you, do you uh, attend church regularly? Do you attend church sporadically? Any kind of way that we are affiliated with this church, it labels us. People see that, and they begin to look at you for something specific, specific kind of influence. Let me talk with you about what that means. And then always here, there's also... There's this negative element that we can't get away from in Scripture. Scripture is positive when it's negative because it reveals in us where we're inefficient, where we're flawed. And so Jesus addresses that. So let me walk you through, if you don't mind, there's three things I want you to see. These three identity words, if you don't mind, Jesus says three things. He says, number one, you are salt. Number two, you are light. And number three, you have some relationship with keeping the commandments. All right, that's the outline of our text right there. It's very simple. And let me point this out just so you would join with me in understanding the scripture. He does not say you will be. He does not say you can be. He does not even say that you should be. But as you study this passage of scripture, Jesus is going to say this very clearly. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are salt. So I don't feel like salt a bunch of times, Brother Casey. That's fine, but you are salt. You are light. And you are, you are a commandment keeper. You might be a really bad one, can I be honest? Some days you might really struggle with those things. But this is who we are identified by Jesus to be as being members of his kingdom. All right? So let's kind of break this down. And again, this is no new information. You guys are pulling this up. You're, you're, uh, you're dry, jotting this down. What it means here is this, is our influence as people who are salt, all right? I'm salt, and you know how salt works. Salt does two things, especially in this first century when Jesus was writing, well, excuse me, when Jesus was saying this, and this is recorded later uh, by Matthew, what we're going to find is this, is that Jesus is saying, hey, you are one who preserves the world, all right? Now, hear me very clearly. They would use salt before there was refrigeration, and when they would sprinkle a food, cover a food in salt, the way that salt works is that it's going to preserve that food. It's going to keep it from decaying and corroding. Our calling as salt in the world, Christian, is this. I'm salt, which means I should not be contributing to the decay of those around me. I should be contributing to the pres preservation. I can't even say it. The preservation of those around me. So I need to look at those people around me and I see, okay, maybe I have some people around me who don't know Christ 
And can I say to you, I was, you were placed there. God puts you there. God puts us there. And the one thing we're supposed to do as salt to these people is we're supposed to show them, hey, the world is passing away is what 1 John says, but I want to show you that I don't have to pass away with this world. There's another alternative I can preserve, and you can preserve your moral life. You say, well, you know, I, I got involved with a circle of guys at work, and a circle of guys at work were telling a joke, and so, so I started telling jokes too, and pretty soon it went to a really corrupt place. I've been there. I've been there. Can I say to you, that you are placed there in that job. Say, Brother Casey, I don't like it. Okay, we, we can take that poll if you want to. You're placed there in that job by God. God puts you there because he wants you to be salt. So if we would understand our responsibility to influence, what we would find, Jesus says this, as salt, we're going to preserve what is morally pure. We should be then, we'll see in a second, also an example here. So now what you're challenged to do, what you're charged to do is this. When you are in that environment, all right, please, please hear me clearly. Don't go tomorrow and say, I heard a sermon, I quit. Don't do that, all right? We, I can't support you, all right? Don't quit your job because you're maybe the only Christian there. Oh, wow, I get excited about that. And I say to you, church, keep your job, especially if you feel like you're the only Christian there. Because you are preserving in that environment. Be known as salt. Be known as someone who says no to things that are corrupt. Be known as someone who takes a stand. And the only way that we can be known, church, a salt in a bag of salt, it's not good, is it? What is a salt grain within a bag of salt accomplishing? Nothing. You and I were meant to go out. And be sprinkled. Also, it says this, and I love this, and a lot of people will understand you might disagree with my interpretation of this. Salt brings flavor. And perhaps today you come and you are one of the most boring people on the face of God's earth. Please do not look at the people sitting next to you. But maybe you're a really boring person. Can I invite you to this challenge from Scripture? We need to. Hear me clearly. I believe I have a calling to understand the culture that I live in. I believe I have a calling to understand the culture that I live in. I do enjoy that. I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoy that to a certain extent. But I also am responsible to use that for a specific purpose. So I am one, and uh, a lot of people get disappointed. I'm not a big fan of baseball, but I can talk baseball all day with you. All right? I'm in no way a mechanic, but I can talk about what machines should do, right? Here's why. If you cannot converse with the people that you are around the most, you're not influencing them the way salt should influence them, okay? So if you have perhaps the reputation, well, and, and listen, I want you to be excited about your church, hear me. All right, I want you to be excited about your church. You should be excited about Vacation Bible School. You should be excited about the kind of uh, the, the, the crowd that we had here, especially this week, Thursday night, was a great crowd. Be excited about that. But if all you talk about, all you talk about is what's going on at the church, and you're talking about that with people who aren't interested in what's going on at the church, guess what? They will avoid you. 
Jesus, if you will, draws a crowd in a gospel way. He doesn't draw a crowd by tickling their ears, but he does draw a crowd. He's able to relate to them. He's adding flavor to their lives because what's he doing? He's saying, you folks use salt, right? He found them right there at that point and said, hey, I can connect with you at this point. It's not morally corrupt. You say, well, I I think I need to start uh, searching for some bad stuff on the Internet so I can talk to my friends at work. No, you are to positively preserve that environment and also have some flavor. Be able to be a person that can engage in conversation. I have a friend of mine, he's not far from here, he's pastoring a church, and he went over to a Southern Baptist Convention this week, I saw him post, he posted that he was using God's gift, Uber. Uber? Is there Uber here in Ekru, Brother Porkchop? Uber in Ekru? Me and you, brother, we'll talk this week, we'll get a business started. Uber, here's the idea, so he lands in Dallas and he needs a ride, so he uses his Uber app, all right, those of you who don't know what an app is, you see Cole, at the end of the service, he'll tell you, all right? But here's the concept, all right? So as he gets in this vehicle, this is an average ordinary person who owns a vehicle and is signed up with the Uber service. He gets into the Uber vehicle, and they're going to ride together. And he's salt. He's salt in that Uber ride. And he begins to talk with them about their interests, about their life there in Dallas, and he bridges the gap there to the gospel. Be salt. Here's what the scripture says, if you'll see with me. Jesus says this. He says that if you are not preserving the moral fabric in the environment where you are, and if you're not a person who is approachable, that can connect with people and relate to people and talk to people, then you're not advancing the kingdom at all. Let me show you. Look here with me. It says, verse 13, back in the scripture, you see it? You are, that's what I said to you, the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, you have no flavor about you. How shall its saltiness be restored? What is it that you want God to do in your life? What is it that you're expecting God to do in your life? You're not advancing His kingdom. And in that state of refusing to be a part of advancing His kingdom... You're calling out to God and saying, gimme, 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 gimme. You see the problem there? God says to us, I want you to join with me in my kingdom work. And it's within your obedience that my blessing and my provision flow abundantly. So if we're not salt, we're not advancing the kingdom. And if we're not advancing the kingdom, you say, well, what does it matter? I'm going to heaven when I die. What matters is that we had a room full this week of children who need Jesus. And they will not get that because they are devoted to paying attention to my sermons. Think that's a surprise? They'll get that when you and your home are salt. They'll get that when you and your school are salt. They'll get that when you and your community are salt. And then we're going to see children, teenagers, young adults come to experience and know Jesus. How? Because you're going out to preserve and add flavor to this world. So they're drawn to Jesus. Now, the second thing we see here is this, this light. Light tells us these things. It says light, of course, is this. First, light turns on 
its brightness the best in darkness. Don't miss it. I love it, man. You go into Lowe's. Any of y'all ever go into Lowe's? You should. You say, no, I'll go into Home Depot. Work with me. So the idea, if you go into Lowe's, they advertise all their light fixtures. I think it's just really weird. They do it all in the same place. Me, I would scatter those bad boys out all over, make y'all walk, all right? That's called product displacement. And so we're spread those things out. But no, they have, if you go into Lowe's, they've got one aisle. What aisle is it? One aisle, I was going to see who hollered out, all right? They have all their light fixtures with lights in them all on one aisle. It's the brightest light of all the aisles. Yes? And it really, honestly, just kind of crowds itself out. Can't really, I mean, we go there with, with shades on, you know. Can't see it. Our placement by Jesus is not that we would constantly and continuously surround ourselves with other Christians who are light. Light and 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 light. It's not really impacting or influencing anybody. But the beautiful thing here is this. You find a dark room and just a little spark. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be exquisite in your communication. You just be a little spark there. And Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So light then, if I go into a dark room and I turn on the light, I can see. What Jesus Christ has done for you and I is this, is that he has come to give us an example he is the light of the world. He shows us how we're supposed to live. He shows us what God expects of us. He shows us what God expects of us. So churches, as we go out, we're light. We're light in darkness, right? Man, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I fail so often, but I do love it. When uh, I was going to stop in real quick to the grocery store on Saturday afternoon. Y'all ever try to do that? My wife said, hey, you can run right in. She was, she was telling the truth. I did run right in. And like 30 minutes later, I came out with a two-liter, right? So I got in line behind a bunch of folks, everybody. I think everybody in Saltilla and Tupelo. I was in line behind them, right? And guess what happens, church? The lady in front of me turns around and identifies what? Sure is a long line. And then what's the second thing she does? Complains about how long the line is. Right? And I'm thinking, you know, this is a line. This is long. I should complain. Think about this with me, church. My calling, my placement there is to be light. I'm supposed to be an example of what God expects. I'm supposed to be an example of how God thinks. I'm supposed to be an example to others about what God's attitude is in this situation, right? You say, well, Brother Casey, tell me how to put a positive spin on this, right? Say, At least we ain't dead. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have a lot of great things there, right? But here's the idea. Light stands out. It's an example for others to say, go this way. So it's also an avenue. If I'm in a dark room, and I'm walking around, guess what? I'm bumping into things like crazy. I don't even see what's in there. But when the light comes on, the light reveals the path. And that's what we're invited to do. Jesus says this. Look with me again. This is verse 14. You are the light of the world. 
And he also says this, get our inefficiency. He says, a city that's set on a hill, it can't be hidden. And can I encourage you, church, in this word? Don't let the people that you share a home with be surprised to find out later on that you're a Christian. Don't let the people that you share a job with be shocked later on to discover that you're a Christian. But rather, can I encourage you, let your light shine. He says this, verse 15, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That wouldn't make any sense. But where do we put it? God places us on a stand, and he gives light to all that are in the house. Can I encourage you to do this with me as light begin to stand out and begin to ask God, and join with me, church. I told you we're going to journey together. Join with me in this. You've got somebody who lives on the right side of you or the left side of you or in front of you, perhaps, or maybe behind you. Would you begin praying that you would be light to those people? Maybe you work like I do in a, in a very specific setting. Maybe you're, you're praying for the people that are coming into that setting. Maybe you're praying for those people who are to the left or to the right. But would you be light in that situation? That's where God's placed you. That's where he's placed you. He placed you there for a purpose. You see, God never is going to place light within light because light doesn't need light. Light already has light. God places us as light bearers in the darkness. So we'll shine for him. Show people the way. Then last we see this. This is commandment keeper. So Jesus gets into this. And he tells us about what he specifically has done. A lot of people separate this passage, but let's look at it again. Join with me, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Woo! We don't have to abide abide by that Old Testament stuff anymore. Hallelujah, right? That's how a lot of people would hear that, right? He says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what Jesus says here is this. I'm going to show you how God's work is perfectly accomplished in a person's life. I want to show you that. So can I encourage you, church? There's three things that put up here that I understand. We have the Word of God. If you don't have a Word of God, I'm going to put this out here. I've not even, not even talked with our deacons or our staff about this, but let me say this to you. If you don't have access to a copy of God's Word, you come down at the end of the service, we will buy you one, get you one, put one in your hands. Because very simple is this, now you got God's Word. So as you have God's Word, I want to invite you to do these things. One, I want you to trust it. I want you to trust it. In order to trust it, here's what we've got to do, church. We've got to begin to read it. We've got to begin to question it respectfully. We've got to begin to put it into practice. So we're going to trust it, and then we're going to try to live it. You say, well, I don't do very well at living God's Word. Great, that line is a long line. None of us do very good at it, right? But we do have the Holy Spirit that helps us. So now we've got His Word, but now also we've got His Holy Spirit that's helping us to live it out. So together, as we learn how to do this, we are living according to His Word. I invite you, and I hope that this is our future. I'm praying that this would be God's future for you and I together, is that every person in this room has a relationship with a small group of Christian adults who are committed to studying God's Word faithfully. I want every one of us to be in an environment like that 
where we are on a regular basis, whether it be Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever it might be, whenever it might be, I don't know. I'm not limiting myself to that. I'm saying the important relationship in your life and in my life, I need other Christians who are trusting God's Word, studying God's Word, and therefore trying to live God's Word that I have a relationship with. We'll talk about that next week. You come on back. So as we are trusting it, living it, and here's where everybody gets hung up. They say, well, I don't really, I'm not really a teacher. Great. You are an example. You are an avenue. You are a preserver. You are one who has flavor. So you are teaching someone. Dads, let me say another word to you. You say, well, you said enough last week, Brother Casey. Let me say another word to you here. Your spouse is watching you. And they want to see how do we live for Jesus. Spouses, you pray. We talk. Pray for them. Pray for dad. Pray for husband. Your kids are watching you. We can't discount that, right? My daughter's watching me. Uh-oh. She's watching me. She's mimicking certain parts of her life after me. I never once sat down and said, now here's what you do and this is what you don't do, this is what you don't do. It's more in a standing over her lecture kind of thing. But we don't teach in just a open the book kind of setting. We teach with our lives. So you are, you are teaching. Now get it. Can't understand the next part of the passage if you don't understand this. You and I are teaching the world how to respond to the Bible. Every one of us. As you go out, you and I, every one of us, are teaching the world how to respond to the Bible. Here's what Jesus says. Don't miss this. Jesus says this. Look with me at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all, all is accomplished. That means it's all perfectly shown, demonstrated, what God expects in a person's life. That's done through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ perfectly. But then he sends a spirit to help us. Verse 19, verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. What does it mean to relax one of the least of these commandments? Y'all know how to relax. How do we relax? Uh, everything else can wait. Uh, it's not really a big deal. Uh, it's too hard. I don't even want to try. And that right there, folks, is how we often, that's the attitude we often come to God's Word with. Oh, well, that's really for somebody else. I don't really understand it. I'm not even going to, not even going to pursue it. And it says here that when we relax on God's Word, His instructions, then it has an effect. Watch what it is. Check this out. He says, whoever relaxes one, verse 19, of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. How do you teach others to do the same? We say, wow, let me talk to you about anything else besides God's Word in my life. Let me talk to you about anything else. Let's talk. And so we said, well, no, it's confusing now. Are we supposed to relate to people? Yes. We find common ground with them, but as we find common ground with them, what is it that we use as a primary tool to influence them? We use the Word of God revealed, manifested, come to life in us. So we never start a conversation. Woo! Never start a conversation with somebody because we want to talk. And I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. We never start a conversation because our end goal is to talk about sports. No. 
I'm not trying to influence someone. Hear me. I'm not trying to influence someone to root for one team over the other. I'm trying to influence people to ultimately know the word of God for their lives and apply it to their lives and be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. So what we hope to do, and we'll see next week in relationship, that we talk with people, we connect with people, but as we connect with people, church, we have to be prepared to explain to people what the word of God says. We have to be prepared to show people who are in a marriage right now where the marriage is crumbling. We have to be able to give them more. Well, I think that, would you please join with me? I've got to check my opinion, and my advice against the holy and errant word from God. Because, listen, I don't want to ruin someone's marriage. I want God to have his way in your marriage. What should I do with this rebellious kid that keeps, he just he won't do what I tell me. Tell him, Brother Casey. Well, uh, you know, here's what my dad used to Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Before I start giving you counsel and advice, I need to go to the holy, inerrant, perfect word of God and say, here's what God says needs to happen in your family. Here's what God says needs to happen in your child's life. And we say, well, pastor, I just don't know that I'm ready to do that. Can we get ready? Can we get ready? Jesus says, y'all come around here, disciples. We're naturally going to draw a crowd. People are going to come around and start gathering around to watch us. And so I'm going to tell you, you're salt, you're light, and you got the Word of God with the Holy Spirit of God, illuminated Word of God in your life. Go and be an example, an avenue, a person of influence so that the kingdom of God will advance. Would you join with me in that? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to you today, Lord, I, I've heard repeatedly, I've heard repeatedly that I'm salt and that I'm light and I'm supposed to do what the Bible says. God, help us. Lord, help us. Our cry today is a cry of first confession and repentance. God, we don't always do this well. Sometimes, honestly, God, my end result is just to survive the conversation. Sometimes my end result is just to get people to be settled with superficial things. So God, forgive us. We have forsaken our responsibility because we don't know our identity. We don't know who we are in you. You tell us that we are these things. We are salt. We are light. We are commandment keepers. So God, now send us out. Send us out so that we can influence Send us out so that we can impact the world. Send us out so that every person in Ecru, Mississippi would at least, I don't save anybody, God, but that they would at least have a chance to hear how you save. Would you use us? Would you use every person, every member, every person that crosses into the, under the threshold of this church God, would you call us to this mission? Would you make us aware of this identity and make us aware of this impact purpose? God, you send us out. But right now, I believe, and my, my spirit's impressed, that your spirit is laying on our hearts lost co-workers, lost family members, lost friends, lost neighbors, God, they will remain in their lostness until they see light in us. They will remain in their lostness until we become the salt that you've made us. 
They will remain in our lostness. They keep asking about who you are and what you want. And they'll stay there, God, until we take seriously the responsibility to be commandment keepers. So, Lord, right now, as you impress these people in our hearts, you do that by your design, by your purpose. And so, Lord, I want to give the church an opportunity to take these specific names and lift them up to you. Lord, as we pray together, our spirits are crying out, calling out names. And Lord, our simple prayer is this. Would you work to save this person? Would you work, God, to save this person? Church family, I invite you. If you have a person that God's impressed upon your heart and you're praying that prayer for them right now, would you slip your hand up just so I can join you in praying? Just slip your hand up. I've got a lost person in my life. I know God wants them to be saved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Church, as we worship and the praise team sings to close out our service, I want to invite you to ask God to use you. He might not tell you how, he probably won't, but would you ask God to use you to be salt in that life, to be light in that darkness, to be an example of the Word of God living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword in that person's life. Would you ask God to use you? I'll be here at the front as they begin to sing. If I can help you, you come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to counsel you if there's any counsel I could possibly give. But I just want to join with you. Let's go out. Let's go after those people who are looking for Jesus.